For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, find out about wildlife crossings that provide safe ways for animals to travel and give a new picture of the biodiversity of the Sonoran Desert. Wildlife illustrator Beth Surdit takes a closer look at snakes. A profile of the ups and downs of making a labor of love into a profession. And Dimelo brings us audio portraits of three people and their favorite places on Tucson's south side. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Arizona drivers are accustomed to rough roads, potholes, detours, and traffic headaches. Mostly, these are just inconveniences for humans on their daily commute. But for our four-legged desert neighbors, streets and highways are barriers with fatal consequences. Tony Paniagua spoke with two wildlife experts about a statewide program that's providing better chances for animal survival, including a new crossing on Oracle Road north of Tucson that is already being called a success. Carolyn Campbell, the executive director of the Coalition for Sonoran Desert Protection, and Jeff Gagnon, a statewide research biologist with Arizona Game and Fish Department. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Sure, thank you. So, Carolyn, a big celebration about this bridge that was recently completed. Why are you and other people so happy about this? Well, this has been a project that has been going on, really, wildlife connectivity in the Sonoran Desert for decades. People here understand that these blocks of habitat, protected parks, just get isolated, and roads are a big part of that. So we were celebrating the successful construction of both a wildlife bridge and a wildlife underpass connecting open space lands uh, on either side of Oracle Road in the north part of Pima County. And it's a big uh, project. And so we had a big party and we celebrated it, especially because we want to keep people out of these structures. So we wanted to have it more of a grand closing where people get to see it before we get rid of people and let the animals use it. And Jeff, this is the fourth such bridge in the state of Arizona, the first one in Pima County. What are some of the animals that we've seen using the bridge here on Oracle Road? Deer are a big one. We get a lot of deer. We get bobcat, coyotes, uh, fox, rabbits, javelina, uh, various species through those crossings. And fences are important because the animals don't automatically find these crossings, right? Is that correct? Yeah, the, the fencing is the key to the crossings. I mean, they wouldn't find them without them. The, the fence guides them to it, and you can't really have crossings without fencing. Carolyn, what about the cooperative effort that was necessary in order to make this reality and the cost behind it, uh, approximately $9.5 million for this bridge? Right. Well, the cooperative effort can't be understated on this uh, project. There are so many different land ownerships, neighborhood associations, the local jurisdictions, both Oro Valley and Pima County right in the area, the State Land Department, Game and Fish Department. There's uh, the Regional Transportation Authority of Pima County, which provided the funding. The funding was actually voted for in the regional transportation plan. It's about 2% of the overall funding specifically for wildlife crossings. 
And Jeff, there is science behind the location of these bridges. You study migratory patterns or where animals are crossing to begin with because you just don't want to put it somewhere and then hope that the animals will find it. Yeah, in a lot of cases we'll use uh, collars to let the animals tell us where to put crossings. But in the case of of this project down here on Oracle, it was driven some by roadkill, also by corridor modeling and and available habitats. There's several different approaches you can take, but the main thing is, is trying to use the wildlife to tell you where to put these crossings. And what is the history of the bridges in the state of Arizona? Uh, We've had underpasses along 260 near Payson since about 2000 when the first ones were complete. And there's 17 underpasses uh, for elk and deer and other species over there. And we also have crossings up near Hoover Dam, three overpasses for bighorn sheep. And there's various other uh, places in Arizona where crossings are are happening, including State Route 86, where there are two underpasses here west of Tucson, and there will be two more overpasses in the future. And people from other states are visiting Arizona to find out more about them, right? Yeah, we we get questions from a lot of states about what we're doing here. And in fact, we had the International Conference on Ecology and Transportation here, um, and 21 different countries came to visit what was going on in Arizona. Carolyn, we were talking about how the Tohono Autumn Nation is now getting involved in possible construction of other projects. Yes, actually, I think it's really good to note that While this bridge is the biggest and most visible, there are many other uh, crossings that have been built with Regional Transportation Authority monies. The Tohono O'odham Nation has uh, proposed and now built two underpasses uh, very close to Kitt Peak, and they now have received funding or in the design phase for two bridges specifically for bighorn sheep. The reason this bridge was built here on Oracle Road was because the road was being widened anyway? Yes, it was already being widened, and this has been a spot that has been on people's minds of you know biologists and other planners for a long time, and so the timing was right. The I-10 is going to be widened here in the next few years, and we hope to reconnect the Tucson Mountains and the Tortolita Mountains with some crossings over I-10 as well. But again, like Jeff said, it's about timing and it's about having enough funding. It's always an issue. Does this make you proud? Does it make you happy? What words would you describe to talk about what's recently happened here in or- on Oracle Road? I, happy it doesn't describe it. I mean, I was just pinching myself sometimes and just realizing that all this work is actually paid off and seeing that the videos that came out as soon as these things were finished with herds of deer going across them and other animals going under is it's unbelievable the the feeling that you can get as an activist. Okay Jeff Gagnon statewide research biologist for the Arizona Game and Fish Department and Carolyn Campbell executive director of the Coalition for Sonoran Desert Protection thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Always love to talk about this, Tony. Thank you. From grumpy badgers to graceful deer, you can see photos of wildlife using the Animal Crossings on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Artist and writer Beth Surdit listens to ravens and has paddled with alligators in wild and scenic places. She also knows that true adventure can be found out in the garden, sometimes with rattles and sometimes without. I was experiencing an oh look a tiny baby bunny moment when an impressively large gopher snake zoomed across the yard like a kid on a bike when the ice cream truck is in the neighborhood, head up, Jaws wide open and only one thing in mind. I know everybody's got to eat, 
but not in front of me. I have a hard time watching those nature TV specials where the antelope bunny mouse cute thing gets chomped. So, I literally ran interference, yelling, no you don't, while chasing a five-foot-long snake as big around as my fist, whose earless body transmitted my vibrations through skin, muscle, and bone. I don't want to send this beautifully patterned reptile, or any other, to its next incarnation as a belt or shoes, but since we all can't just get along, and these snakes can have a quarter-mile territory, I'd like it to move on. A challenge. My yard is a snake's Eden with freshwater stations, shade, baby birds, bunnies, ground squirrels, a variety of lizards to eat, and a human who doesn't want to kill snakes, just discourage them. The gopher snake, also called a bull snake, is non-venomous, but can mimic a rattlesnake even though it has no rattles. Now coiled and, for lack of a better word, sulking under a lilac bush, this snake has the ability to flatten its head, vibrate its tail, and hiss like a rattler. But other than bunny bloodlust, there was none of that action and no aggression. Eyeing the sharp end of a long-handled hoe, I considered my stance on live and let live. Yep, still not a murderer. The tiny bunny was nowhere in sight, so I did the only reasonable thing I could think of. I ran to get a very long stick and my camera. Mighty hunter that I am, I spoke softly and poked the big stick very gently at the tail to coax the serpent into leaving paradise. It complied, slowly. Stretching out, it nosed upward slightly, tongue tasting the air as it slithered out to the driveway and camouflaged itself on a welcome mat of accumulated dead leaves. I nudged the tip of the tail again, and when it didn't move, I explained loudly that it should find a new zip code. Snake languidly moved another ten feet, under foliage so thick I couldn't see a trace. Did I mention I was born in the Chinese year of the snake? This past year, in one of my paying attention workshops, a woman told me her sister and husband had bought a house with acreage in the Chiricahuas from an old man who told them that there was a diamondback named Charlie on the property. He said that snake was at least 25 years old, had never hurt anybody. One day, the woman and her sister were standing by a stream there, and her sister said, Don't move, but look down in the grass between us. I could see the diamond pattern and that it was big. And then we kind of went crazy, she said to me. Her voice rose, and she talked in that way people do when they're really flustered. What about the grandchildren? What if they play down here? We have to do something. Her sister told her to go get her husband from the house and tell him to bring his gun. There was such sadness in that woman as she quieted down and said, I did. I went and got him. He shot that snake in the head. He killed it 
because we were hysterical. We weren't thinking. If only we thought about what we were doing, because when we settled down, I realized we'd killed Charlie. I felt so bad, and I still do, if we'd only thought. I saw the tiny bunny once, a couple of days after the deflected gopher snake attack. About a week later, while watering, I spotted two separate pieces of bunny fur with chunks of skin and meat attached. Not unusual, almost every critter here is food for another, but even knowing that, I stood in bleak sadness, letting the hose pour costly lifeblood onto the always thirsty desert floor. But then I saw movement, a youngster, little furred ears, their insides the color of peaches, a white puff of tail. I named it Survivor. A baby gopher snake, only as big around as my index finger, slipped gracefully past me this morning on its way to a plant-filled no-man's land between me and the neighbors. I hope it likes it there. On Saturday, June 4th, Beth Surdit presents an introduction to the Nature's Notebook program and a talk about the seasonal plants and animals of the Sonoran Desert. You can learn how to document what you see and contribute your findings to the National Phenology Network to help answer questions about species response to climate change. It will be from 8 to 11 a.m. at Agua Caliente Park, sponsored by Pima County and the USA National Phenology Network. The link to register is on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. People really want the tactile interaction with the art. A record in your hand, looking at the artwork of it, taking it out of the sleeve, putting it on your turntable. more than just make, just press a record, a traditional thing like you would find in the stores. I really like to push the format. This is a Christmas ornament shaped record that I made for Julian Coster of the band Neutral Milk Hotel. This is a clear transparency picture disc that I made for uh, Viking Moses and Joey DeMarco. This was a set of silk screened records that I made for local Tucson bands that were going to France. That's Michael Dixon, the founder of a business called LatheCuts.com. He designs and manufactures limited edition vinyl creations for bands from around the world. Dixon started his business five years ago, and it was profiled for Arizona Illustrated on PBS6. Recently, Andrew Brown saw a Facebook post from Dixon about his business that inspired him to check back in. We're on the corner of Stone and University in a basement uh, that we affectionately call the Lathe Cave. When I started playing music when I was 15 or 16, I really wanted my music on vinyl, but there was no way that I could sell enough records to justify putting $2,000 into it. So uh, I found out about a guy in New Zealand named Peter King who 
would make you 20 copies if you wanted. And he was doing a very similar process to what we do. They're all done in real time. So if it's a 12 minute record, it takes 12 minutes plus setup time on our end. Right now we're finishing up the orders that we had. So we start off with a blank disc. We prep the disc with lighter fluid. Do your lead in groove. And then you start your audio. The amplifier feeds a cutter head, which is basically a little speaker, but instead of having a big cone that pushes the vibrations out into the air, it actually focuses them down to the tip of these little tiny needles. This process has been around since the late 1800s, pretty much the same as it was 130 years ago. I'm still fascinated by, by how these things work. Okay, so we'll do the lead out groove, and then we can play the disc. A lot of the records that I've released are already selling on eBay and Discogs for hundreds of dollars. I've, I've done stuff for the Flaming Lips, and we only made 350 of those. They sold out immediately and are on eBay for 300 bucks. They come to me because all the stuff that I do is so weird. In the last two years, uh, I moved down to this space, which is about 3,000 square feet. I bought a lot more machines. Right now I have uh, 17 or 18. Up until a month ago, I had 10 people working down here. I could have two people at a time cutting four records at a time. And we really, we put a lot of effort into marketing and ramping up production and improving sound quality and things. When I was operating it out of my bedroom uh, on a on a small scale, um, had pretty limited overhead. It was it was definitely a money maker. Unfortunately, it turned out that the, the this particular business model wasn't scalable. Business was always great. We had no no problem bringing in enough orders, but the overhead of payroll and um, payroll expense. and workers' comp insurance and liability insurance and Social Security, Medicare for 10 people. Sheer number of machines and space and upkeep and time involved um, ended up really killing the any kind of profit margin. And in the first quarter of 2016, we ended up having a pretty significant loss that looking at the numbers didn't, it did not look like there was any way to continue in its current state and get back to profitability. It was definitely it was definitely really uh, really sad when it when I first realized that this was not going to be able to continue. Uh, I felt I still feel like we did a lot of small bands um, a pretty great service because Vinyl, vinyl is huge, and for musicians especially, a lot of them are record collectors, and they want to be able to have their music on a physical disc. And we were able to offer that to people that would otherwise never be able to do it. Um, and so it was really sad to, to have to kind of um, leave those people high and dry, to have to lay off 10 employees, to... This has been my entire identity and my... Um, my passion project for as long as I can remember. 
I have a marketing degree, uh, University of North Texas, and I taught business in high school for 10 years before this took off. But when you're actually out there running a business, there's a really steep learning curve. It's pretty daunting to figure out how to become a manager and a business owner with employees. There's so many things that you just don't learn in college. I learned that I don't really want to be a manager or a boss. I think the the main takeaway is that if you're doing something that you really love and then you try to grow it too big and involve too many other people, it um, it becomes more work. It, it becomes work and it's not what you love. That was okay for a while and it got it got a little tedious because now the thing that I cared most about in the world was just kind of a pain in the butt. LatheCuts.com is closing, but that isn't the end for Michael Dixon in the record industry. Andrew Brown reports that three of LatheCuts' employees are using what they learned to start their own vinyl businesses. For more information and to see some of the unique vinyl they produced, visit the Arizona Public Media Facebook page. Next on Dimelo, the question is, what place in Tucson means the most to you and why? Amanda Martinez heads out to ask that question of people she meets on the south side of Tucson. On Sunday evening, I was driving home on Tucson's south side in that magical hour when the sky turns into a ball of purple and pink waves. I headed west and passed by a small park a couple blocks from the Food City on South 6th Avenue. I spotted a young man in a black backwards snapback hat with a ponytail running down the back of his green polo. In his hands was a golf club. Hi, I'm Edward Zumano, and I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur, um, a sportsman, an outdoorsman, and just an adventurous person. I've never seen a golfer here before, and I drive by this park every day. I have to say my favorite place would have to be California because of the weather there and all the, the water and the beaches and the ocean and just the climate, it's real, it's really nice. I like all the green and seeing the palm trees and everything, it's real. I've gone on vacations over there, San Diego and Los Angeles. It's somewhere I actually would like to live. California might be Edward's favorite place, but home will always hold a unique place in his heart. It's somewhere not in Tucson because Tucson is my hometown, somewhere I was born and raised. Even though it's somewhere I was born and raised, It's somewhere I would never forget. It's my hometown. I would always come back to this place. As soon as I come back to the south side or south Tucson, it's as rough as it looks. It just feels more comfortable. It's just my hometown. It's it's the side of town where I grew up on. Edward loves to see the neighborhood come alive on Sundays. When the families get together, they barbecue on the weekends. They just play horseshoes or... You know, it's somebody's birthday party, and they have jumping castles, and all the family together, and eating, and you know, that that's one of that's one of my favorite things to see. The next morning, I drove down South 12th Avenue and noticed a flower shop was open at about 9 a.m. I walked in, and that's when I met Jessica Ochoa. 
Oh, yeah. This is Josie's Creations and Flower Shop. My mom started um, her flower shop out of our garage about 25 years ago. And about 20 years ago, she actually got a location around the corner on Irvington and 12th. Um, and after 15 years, she grew and she needed a bigger spot. So she just retired last year and I was introduced to business about five years ago. Um, we grew up on this part of town, so um, we grew up down 12th and Valencia and up by Cardinal and Valencia area, so we've always been here. It's the stories her mom told her that helped her find her favorite place. Um, I am really loving downtown right now, and the main reason is my mom grew up here, and she would always comment how wonderful downtown was. Um, she worked retail downtown at one of the clothing stores, and then they'd go thrifty ice cream, so just walk around, something to do, gather with her friends. Growing up, she went to Tucson High and Choya High School, so it was just hanging out and actually having the community down there. Now we meet friends down there. There's lots of stuff for our kids to do, and now it's hub ice cream. <laughs> It was about 10 a.m. when I made my next stop. I met Arliss Wilson at her house tucked between South 6th and South 12th Avenues. She had a chair set up in the sliver of shade along her chain link fence with her three dogs lounging beside her. My favorite place is to be spending time with my schnauzer crackers. She's my dog and I just inherited two other little girls or a boy and a girl one is a little fat chihuahua with short legs, and we call him Little Bit. And then Queenie is a little whatever dog. <laughs> but she was rescued. I know that Southside has a bad reputation, but I'll tell you, I wouldn't live anywhere else. I would not live anywhere else. We've got good people here. We really do. I know the Sanchez's from down the street, the Durand's. Uh, you know, I have a young man that lives in California now who uh, was uh, military, but he comes home. He was here for my birthday, took me out to dinner. You know, those types of things you can't buy in any neighborhood. It's a given, and that's why I love it here. I have a nice neighborhood. I have good neighbors. Uh, I've raised a lot of children out here in this empty lot. Um, I have young people that have been raised in the area that come home. First place they hit is Mrs. Wilson's house. Been here for 54 years. I'm not going anywhere. On my way home, I thought about my favorite place. It's in the car with my family. It doesn't matter where we're headed as long as we're together. It's the people that make the place. I'm Amanda Martinez for Dimelo Stories. You can meet more people from Amanda's Street Portrait series at azpm.org. Dimelo is a community-driven storytelling project. Add your voice. Go to dimelostories.org or drop a postcard in one of the special mailboxes around town. Dimelo is part of a national initiative called Finding America, presented in collaboration with AIR, the Association for Independence in Radio, supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Some music in the story was produced by Siksa. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can also find our podcasts on iTunes. The show originates from the AZPM radio studios. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood, with assistance from Isaac Rodriguez. Our executive producer is Peter Michaels. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.